0: This is John 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Joseph, associate pastor in the residency program, so it's good to be preaching. If you are a kid, I don't know if you grabbed one of these Kid Connect uh, papers, but it's something for you to fill out during the service. And then afterwards, if you do it, you can show me it. And we got some pretty sweet bracelets this time, the uh, snap On. So I'll wear this for the sermon so you can see what you can get. Um, but it is it is good to be with you, and, and you know, for me... I, I didn't really grow up getting to do these candles, so this is a really special time to enter into uh, the Advent season with you. So let me pray, and then we'll get into uh, the message. Father, um, you have revealed yourself ultimately through a person, through Jesus. And it's in this text that we get to hear from him and and know his thoughts, know his concerns. And so, God, um, would his concerns become our own? His thoughts become our own. would this word preached be something that, that transforms our hearts and minds? Lord, We we just want to hear from you now. Uh, so God, would you help us to not put our feelings and things aside, but bring them to you so we can be addressed by you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Right? These aren't just the words of Dorothy trying to escape the land of Oz to get back to her Kansas home. This is, these are words that are deep within every human heart, a longing to get back home. As I've been thinking about the idea of home over the past few weeks, I kind of realize it's, it's hard to provide like a good definition in words because it's something you more so feel. You know when you're home and you know when you're not experiencing home. For example, uh, I've, I've been kind of like an out-of-town guest now for a couple years, especially during Thanksgiving time. And when I've visited different families for Thanksgiving, you know, they'll, they'll say, hey, it's, it's so glad for you to join us. And that's really nice. I really appreciate them telling me that. But at the same time, like, that's a clear indication that I'm not, I'm not home. Right? Imagine kids ever sitting down for a Thanksgiving meal and then saying to your mom as she comes to the table, like, oh, hey, we're so glad you joined us tonight. You know, that would be weird. It's your mom. She belongs. It's not Thanksgiving meal without your mom. And I think that word belonging is kind of at the essence of what home is, that that we belong somewhere, we belong to people, and that they belong uh, to us as well, right? We're not a guest in our own home. We're not an intruder in our own home. But also, there's an expectation that comes with home. And there's this poet, Mary Oliver, and I think, I think she says it well. She says, whenever I get home, whenever, someone loves me there. There's an expectation of when we get home, or in a, in a space of home, that, that someone is loving us and we're loving them back. And I hadn't quite thought about... Uh, this experience of home until I moved from Southern California, where I'm from, to go to seminary uh, in Chicago. You know, my whole life basically exists in a 30-mile radius. All my closest friends, all the places I knew so well. Whereas Chicago, I couldn't locate on a map until, <laughs> until I had bought a flight. So if you have stereotype about West Coast people, at least that one's true about me. Um, so I fly there, right? And it's unfamiliar... People, unfamiliar places, but then over time, places become familiar. New people become my close friends. And then flying back home no longer quite feels like home anymore. I'm a little bit of a different person. I don't have shared experiences. So that made me start to ask the question, is my longing for home longing for something that doesn't exist anymore? And I think that is a, a deep struggle or a, a tension that we feel as Christians. Right? We know that this isn't our home. This isn't, that there's something off about this world that we're in, and we experience it on a, on a big level. We don't, we don't fit in, in the politics or, or fully in, in the country that we are, nor on, on a micro level. We don't, we don't even fit in our own bodies. Our bodies decay. They war against us. They die. They, they are prey to sin. They lead us to do things we don't want to do. And we know that there's a place that that is a home, and we and we believe it to be heaven as home. But then at the same time, we might also wonder: is that also longing for a place that doesn't exist? You see, right now in, in our Advent series in our church, we've decided to spend time talking about heaven. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what is heaven going to be like? Who will be there? What will we be like when we're there? Is it is it real? And it's relevant to Advent, right, because Advent celebrates really kind of two things. Well, it celebrates one thing, and then it looks forward. Advent is the word that means coming. So we enter into the longings of the people of Israel, as we read from Isaiah 9, longing for the Messiah to come. But that was heaven meeting earth in a particularity, in one person, Jesus Christ, God the Son, taking on flesh. But in Christ's second coming, we look forward to heaven meeting earth universally, where heaven has affected all things, the earth restored, we are, will be restored, and we await that coming. And so this week, out of John 14, we want to answer into that question, well, is heaven real? And what does it feel like? And I'm going to give you the answer now. Ready? Heaven is real, and it is our home. Heaven is real, and it feels like a home. And so with that, I want to read John 14 again. But I just want to preface, this text comes at a time in Jesus' ministry of the night before he dies. Okay, so he's in the Passover meal, John 13 through 17, it's called the Upper Room Discourse, it's their final meal meal together, and this is Jesus' final words in a very stressful time for himself, but also the disciples. And so my job today as your preacher is not to make the text relevant to you, but to make you relevant to the text to bring you into it so you can hear Jesus' words for you and to you right now, that this text belongs to you. And so with that, I'm going to read it again, and then we'll get into just walking through the verses. So Jesus, speaking to the disciples, speaking to us, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. My Father has many rooms, There are many rooms in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, again, I will come and take you with me. For where I am, there you will be. And where I'm going, you know the way. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. And the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you will know the Father. But from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus begins with a command. He begins with a command, do not let your heart be troubled. All right, what's going on for the disciples here? You see, the disciples have just spent three years of their lives with Jesus Right, they gave up everything for him, and right before this in John 13, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm leaving you, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And in fact, he even says one of, one of them is going to betray him. And so the disciples are freaking out, right? This, this Messiah, this king is going away. They spent all this time to see the kingdom come, and now he's leaving them. Is he going to abandon them? Where will they be able to find him? And it's it's not a foreign struggle to us as well to experience abandonment from Jesus. Or, Or we don't see Jesus. He's not with us. He's left us as well. We don't get to hang out with him. We don't get to have a banquet with him. And so Jesus speaks into that turmoil and says, do not let your heart be troubled. And I want to press into that word trouble. That word trouble it happens elsewhere uh, in the New Testament, but a good example of it is in John 5. In John 5, uh, it's described of an angel putting fingers in a pool of water and stirring the water. And that word stir is the same word for trouble, and it kind of takes this metaphorical extension. But in other words, what, what Jesus is saying is don't let the waters of your soul, that experience of, of anxiety, Don't let it be spinning anymore. And that's a deep feeling that we we all know. It's the feeling we experience when we lie down at night and we can't stop thinking about the tasks to be done. We're restless. It's the experience we have when we realize that we, we haven't done enough and we can't do enough. And there's this restlessness created by our own incessant need to do more, to fix things, to control things. And our hearts are left spinning because we aren't enough. It's the feeling we get when our consciences are churning over our own sin because the illusion that we are able to be good, that we're able to fix our own sin problems, our addictions, those things, that is put before us and we feel that turmoil of what, what do I do? And we spin our wheels, we scramble. We scramble. And Jesus is speaking into that. And if you're thinking that I'm, I'm putting that in there, I thought the same thing too. But literally, right before this, right before Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled, he prophesies something. He actually prophesies something to Peter. He looks at Peter in the eyes and he says, Peter, you are going to deny me. You're going to reject me three times before the morning hits. And that denial is the same denial even in our own sin because we reject Jesus and choose something else. And the very next line that he says to Peter, looking in his eyes, after he says, you're going to deny me, he says to him, do not let your heart be troubled. But why? <laughs> Certainly the world is troubling. Certainly our own sin is troubling. Jesus isn't denying that. Instead, he wants us to move our focus away from our troubles, and onto him. He says, believe in me. He says, believe in God and believe in me. The stilling of turbulent waters of our souls is through belief in God. But in the Gospel of John, the term belief has a special meaning. It's not just like knowing propositions like I'm standing here in front of you. It's, it's something much more rich. It's richer. It's more profound. To believe is to have intimate trust in the Gospel of John. Okay, so it's an invitation into an intimate relationship, an intimate union, joining the Godhead. It's seeing God as he is, revealing his glory. If you think of John 15, it's abiding in Jesus, and he abiding back in us. It's unencumbered knowledge, seeing things clearly, knowing Jesus clearly. I think one of the best analogies I could think of would be that of marriage, or at least marriage in its ideal form unencumbered by clothes, by hidden things, by secret things. It's full knowledge in the context of total safety. That is what belief means in the Gospel of John. And it's no surprise that that Jesus prefaces a conversation about heaven by belief. Because in the Gospel of John, John 3.16, belief leads to eternal life. John 17, eternal life is knowing God and knowing the Son whom he has sent. Right? Our trust is located in the kind of person and knowing the kind of person Jesus is. He is someone who has not come to condemn you, but to save you. He is someone who has come to love you with an infinite, eternal love that his father loved him with. He is someone who has come to be a priest and to clean you. He is someone who has come to be your intimate friend, to be a healer, to be like a mother hen gathering you as a chick, He has come to forgive you as God. Trust in him. Let your mind be moved away from the troubles of the world and on to him. And not only is Jesus all of those things, but he also tells us he is someone who has prepared a home for us. So that takes us to verse 2. Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. I've, read, I've heard this verse so many times, but it never, like, connected with me that Jesus is, is comparing heaven to a home. Um, and, and what home is, as we talked about before, of this place of belonging, of, of this expectation of being loved. But this is what heaven is like. Now, it's not literal, right? He's using a metaphor we know from other passages in scripture that it's going to be a new heaven, and a new earth, and there's cities, and there's us, and there's, uh, we ha- we'll have bodies, all those things, right? It's not Some giant mansion, it's not heaven being turned into. I don't know if you watch reality TV, the real world, or it's Jersey Shore in heaven. It's not that, one big mansion, but it feels like a home. And so what that means is that our experience of this world as not being quite right, of not fully fitting in is is, is right. And it's right to actually long for something better. Your longing for rest will not be longing in vain. Your longing to belong will not be in vain. Your longing for perfect family will not be in vain. Your longing to be perfectly loved will not be in vain because you have a home. But how do we know it's real, right? That's what we're talking about today. Heaven is real. Well, the reality is what Jesus says here is it's because he told us so. Heaven is real because Jesus told us so. Or in verse 2, he poses it as a question. If it wasn't so, I would have, wouldn't I have told you. Now, for some of us that might not be quite satisfying. Um, that might seem anti-intellectual, right? We should read books like there's books like is, you know heaven is, is for real. Um, but in terms of our, our cultural context, we, we've been put in a place to question authority, especially uh, religious authority. And, and I should say that elsewhere in Scripture, we are given a reason, other reasons why to believe based on Jesus' resurrection, but Jesus here is grounding it in a trust relationship. There's a, a good friend of mine who uh, has, has a daughter, and I, I spend time with them. And I was at their house uh, one day, and uh, his daughter was, was asking me something, and, and I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, it was just some question, and I, I gave an answer, and she asked me, well, Do you you promise? I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I promise. And then she went on to explain that this actually is a really big deal for her to promise something to me. That she has this agreement with her dad because her dad is a little silly. Her dad uh, sometimes will, will make stuff up, but when he says, I promise, they have this agreement that he always has to tell her the truth. And when he tells her, I promise you this, she knows it to be true because it's her dad, because he told her. And very similarly, that is what Jesus is drawing on with us. This is exactly what he will go to say in John 15. He'll say, look, you're no longer my slaves or my servants. You are my friends. And the reason why you are my friends is because everything, he says, everything I uh, have heard from the Father, I have told you. You know, in our modernism context and postmodern context, has challenged that level of authority in the sense in this sense that religious authority shouldn't be believed in but what we can know is what can be a reasoned by our own selves now the response to postmodernism is that well why is that even authoritatively true because the result of the enlightenment and all that is everyone believing different things based for their own reasons and what jesus is grounding us in is his identity his truthfulness Heaven is real because Jesus told us so. But he says this, this interesting phrase. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, in terms of the Gospel of John, we know what he's, he's talking about. He's talking about how he's going to go on the cross and die. But there's a broader theological answer. And the, and the meaning of that broader theological answer is this, that what Jesus does cannot be touched. What Jesus does cannot be touched. You see, he's saying, look, don't worry about the troubles of the world, not that because they're not troubling, but I want you to focus on me because I am doing something for you that cannot be touched. I'm going to a place in heaven and preparing a spot for you there. But what does that mean? And I think Hebrews 9 really helps us out because we find out that that the biggest barrier to us having a home in heaven and the biggest cause of our troubles is sin. So this is what Hebrews 9 tells us. It says, For Christ has entered, in, has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Christ will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. What's it saying? It's saying that Jesus, when he died... He was like a priest going up into heaven and offering up himself with his blood and his body. And because of that, has abolished sin, the greatest barrier. And so now when he will return, he will not look at you and see sin and make no reference to your sin. But instead, you will just be welcomed back as son and daughter into the home of the Father. That is how Jesus has prepared a place for us. So do you catch the logic where Jesus is going? Don't focus on the things that will be affected by this world, but I have prepared something that cannot be touched. He keeps going. Verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you with me, in order that where I am, there you will be also. So there we have it. We have the promise of the second advent. Advent. He will come back again and take us with him. But what's so sweet about this verse is the reason why. He gives us the purpose. The purpose is that so we will be with him. Our true place of belonging is with Jesus. And where Jesus is, is at the heart of the Father, they together. That is why we are brought into their home. It brings us back to Mary Oliver's quote where whenever I'm, I'm home, whenever I get home, there's someone who loves me there that that is the goal, to be in this place with the Father and Son where they perfectly love us. And I want want to dig in a little bit into the Gospel of John because this is one of the richest uh, pieces of theology in the Gospel of John, which is that we are invited into the Trinitarian relationship between Father and Son and Spirit, and specifically in Father and Son in the Gospel of John. And I want to read a few verses just so you can hear and see how, how Jesus invites us in to this relationship between the Father and Son. He does it through knowledge and love and unity. So John 10, in terms of knowledge. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. John 15, in terms of love. As a father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. John 17. I have given them the glory, just as Jesus praying to the Father. I have given my disciples glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Right. So the center of heaven is, is the Father's heart and the Son is forever in the midst of that. And Jesus is saying your home is in the midst of that relationship, that you get to enjoy the benefits of this father-son relationship, that you get to be known and know God the way they know one another, that you get to be loved the way, they have been, the, the, way the father has loved the son. And that is infinitely profound and, and too big for us to grasp, okay? So, for example, in, in the way we experience love, for example, I am recently engaged, so I have a fiancé, um, and right now, experiencing love in this time, it's really, it's all-encompassing. It's really powerful. And you know there's moments with spouses, with friends, with parents, that there's times when the love is not only expressed in action and deeds, but, it, but it's, it's so present to you. The, the feeling of love is so intense. But for us, because we are, are beings bound by time and other experiences, that intensity isn't always felt. That isn't true with a father and son, eternal, infinite beings. It is always its most intense expression at all times. The father loves the son with an only begotten son kind of way, a particular, special kind of love. And we get to share in that. It's a love that never began. So there's this great, great quote from this theologian, Gerhard Voss. And he was asked, How will you know that the Lord won't cease to love you? And he says because he never began. In other words, the Lord has always existed in love and has always loved you. Before you were even born, you were loved. That is the experience of the father and son relationship, and we get to partake in it. That is our home. That is where we belong. There is someone there who loves us and has always loved us. The center of the father's heart is is, is our home. Wherever the son is, there we will be also. But Thomas asks this question, I think, that is at a root of a lot of our own questions, or at least a lot of our experience. He hears all these words from Jesus about these promises, this place he's taking, but then he asks Jesus in verse 5, Lord, how can we know the road or the way uh, that you are going? And what's interesting, I, I, was, I was spending time thinking, like, what, what is Thomas really asking here? Like, why... Why is, is this Thomas's question, and why does Jesus respond the way he does? And I think what Thomas is really asking is, how do, how do we get heaven? Right? How, how can we attain to heaven? You know, the word for way in Greek is the same word for road. And right. Jesus has told the disciples, I'm leaving you. And so he's asking, okay, well, how do, how do I go on the road to get to you? Like, how do I... What can I do to get to you, Jesus, to get into heaven, to get to the Father's house? Tell me how to do that. Tell us how to go on our way. Tell us the right, the spiritual formula, the things to do to get to you. How can we earn our place in your room? How can we win your love? And Jesus' response is: there's not some way you can go that I'm the way. I'm it. The thing you are to do is, is believe and trust me. I'm, I'm the way. You don't, you don't have to do anything. Stop troubling yourself. But trust me. Right, Jesus even says right beforehand, he says, I'm the one who comes and I will take you. I mean, in a certain sense, it's so passive for us. He says, I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me. And we're going to be home together. Trust me, wait, wait. Don't trouble yourself with all these strivings, spinning in your own toil. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. That's what Jesus says. I'm the way. I'm the truth. Which means no reality exists apart from Christ. That he is the definer of reality. He is defining of what is true. So if, you, if he says you are chosen and prized, then you are chosen and prized. If he says you are forgiven, you are forgiven. If he says you are righteous and cleansed, then you are righteous and cleansed. If he says you have a, fo- a home in heaven, then you have a home in heaven. He defines what is true. He is the life, he says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, which means if you are searching for life, if you are searching for this eternal life, this, this eternal home, then don't look among the dead things to try to quench your longing. You can only find it in me. Trust and wait for me to come back and get you. His final word of assurance comes in in verse 7. How do we know that heaven is real and that it's our home where there's a father? This is what he says. If you know me, then you will know the father. And in fact, from now on, you know the father and have seen him. Why is that? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us that in Jesus' words, in His actions, in His character, that is who the Father is. that we have Father, we have experienced the Father because we have already experienced Him in the Son. The way Christ has been gracious and gentle and giving of his own self on the cross is the exact representation of our Father. We know there's a home for us because we know the Son. And the Father is waiting and welcoming us into the the room that we belong in. Heaven is real, and it is our home, and Jesus is preparing it for us, a perfect place where we belong, where we will be loved, where we can still the waters of our hearts that are churning, trying to make sense of this world and trying to make things right in this world. And he's saying, be still, trust me, I'm, I'm coming for you. You have a home in heaven, it's real, and I'm coming for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we just root, root this into our hearts, and, and I just pray, God, that we would have an experience with you even this week where we can hear you telling us, lo- looking at us and saying, don't let your heart be troubled, be still. You have this. Lord, not that you are, are demeaning our, our, our trials, the things that are difficult, Lord God, but you want us to focus on you. And so I just pray that we would hear that word from you in scripture, in prayer, that you would assure us that you have prepared a place for us. And it is one of infinite, perfect love. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.